Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am here today with one of the most buzzed about authors of the year, I, I think I can say safely, Raven Leilani. Her work has been published in Granta, McSweeney's, Narrative, Yale Review, Conjunctions in the Cut, among other publications. Luster is her first novel. Raven, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, it's such a joy. Um, I feel like we met briefly at a lunch, a publicity lunch yeah. for you in January. Yeah, a totally it, different world. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> 10 decades ago. <laughs> um, and, and so much has changed since then. Um, but, but your book still feels more relevant than ever, I'd say. <laughs> Thank you. It's been, it's been very kind of wild to be in this moment and, and also have a book that, um, that people are really interested in. Like, it feels like a, like a dream. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. Um, and part of it is you're just so funny. Um, and I, I'm not going to read any lines to you. Uh, I have, I have some favorites, but, um, one of the things that I really took away, um, from what you said in January was that this is a story about a young woman going through many different things, mm -hmm. but so much of it is about her learning how to be an artist. Definitely. I feel like um, art kind of creeps into all of my work. And I think part of that is because that was my first love. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I started writing this book uh, and I started write, thinking about how to represent art making on the page, uh, one of the things I kept coming back to is that it's a really, really messy trajectory. And I kind of wanted to speak to that. Yeah. And, and it, I, I hate to think of that terrible Malcolm Gladwell uh, <laughs> statistic, but like, yeah, right. You have to put in the time. That's right. The ten thousand hours, is it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no matter where she is, whether she's staying with her lover's family in New Jersey or right. <laughs> in her Bushwick apartment that's full of roaches and right. Uh, I feel like that is. I mean that kind of defined a lot of my art making or, you know, all the writing I had done, it was often in the in-between moments, you know, after mm -hmm. the nine to five. And a lot of the work was private, you know, no one saw it. And in a way, because no one saw it, there's an element to it that it almost doesn't feel real, the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to, I wanted to write about that, you know, what it means to sort of uh, have to self-propel like when you're kind of you're painting or writing in a void a little bit but that's yeah. so much of the the art making process yeah it's that loneliness that you also get to so well like they sh that Edie has so many loaded relationships but primarily it's her own thoughts that uh, propel her that's right talk to me a little bit about self-sabotage versus uh, <laughs> world sabotage. Like sure. Edie, Edie makes some, maybe, um, bad decisions about her life. Oh, maybe. definitely. <laughs> um, but also she 
has the odds stacked against her in so many different ways. That's right. And, and I think so there are, you know, a couple barriers in general, I think, to getting your work out there or to making anything. And, and one of those barriers is, is often you, right? Like, <laughs> I think to make anything is an act of faith. And in the book, you kind of see her looking to often men uh, to affirm her seriousness. Uh, and it doesn't pan out well, right? Um, I think, yeah. in fact, in the book, the, the kind of only person who, who actually takes her, her work uh, to task or challenges her, introduces real rigor uh, into the work is, is a woman, right? Is a yes. woman who's also serious um, and is also um, kind of dogged in her work. Uh, but there's also, you know, I think in the book, Edie is sort of fumbling through the dark, trying to find uh, a way to, for uh, human connection uh, and kind of randomly. So there's a, there's a chaos to her, to her seeking. Um, and because there's a chaos, I think there's immense fallout. But I think all of her responses, all of her, um, what's guiding her is, is that feeling of wanting to, to be made real, to be witnessed. Uh, and I think it's only natural, and I wanted to make room for this, that uh, she fail a lot, as <laughs> I think we all do. And so there, there are parts of the book where she is um, absolutely self-sabotaging, right? Like we, we return to her, she hasn't painted in, in two years. Um, and there's like a, a dead mouse in the bag, right? In her art bag. <laughs> you know, it's been a while. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, it takes, it takes grit and faith to return to the page, to the canvas, but also, you know, yeah, absolutely. There are, there are real world, um, infrastructure around her not being able to grasp this. Like she is a black woman, um, and she's engaged in a number of, uh, the performances required of her, you know, at work. Uh, you know, in her, you know, personal romantic life. Um, and she is trying to survive. Like she's trying to satisfy those primary needs to eat, you know, pay rent, pay student loans, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, of course, and we, we, we are used to this idea now, but she's a good reminder about the precarity of one's position that like, that there is no 100%. social safety net. Like she goes from, having like a shitty entry-level job right. to, to being homeless. That's right. And I, I wanted to write about how swift that change is yeah. when you live in that kind of precarity. Like and to not have a safety net is it kind of deteriorates you in a way that you, you know, that is detrimental to, to making anything. Like to make anything, I think you have to be intact. And yes. because a lot of her, you know, energy and bandwidth is spent, you know, under the demands of like a, a racist, sexist, and a deeply capitalist um, environment, it, it's a real challenge when she finally gets to that canvas because she is, I mean, she can't even paint herself and that's part of it. You know, she um, is involved in these performances and they have a, a distorting effect. And I, I have to take a few moments to talk about your depiction of the book publishing world because <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about, 
my favorite detail is that um, there's a diversity giveaway that includes a book sure. written about a Cantonese <laughs> restaurant by a white woman in Utah. It's like, yeah, I recognize that. <laughs> so what I was trying to do with the diversity giveaway section um, was that I wanted to speak to, you know, the absurdity of that aspect of the industry. And, and I, I think that we've seen, uh, you know, lately a bit of a reckoning of people speaking out, you know, about working in environments that, you know, purport to be inclusive, but are still quite uh, exclusive. Uh, and, you know, I think diversity, you know, the word itself has kind of become the sexy catch-all term that in, in practice is kind of often emptied of meaning. And so like you see in the book, you know, Edie goes to the, the table and she she sees the books and the stories there in the diversity giveaway are still stories that are written um, by people who are, you know, outside of the experience they're writing about. Or, you know, the stories are, you know, stories that have been flattened in order to be made more palatable to, you know, a market. And, you know, I wanted to, to explore that through these two professional Black women uh, in the workplace. And I think, you know, both Edie and Aria have, like, very different ways of going about it. Edie is kind of resigned and trying to make the most of it. <laughs> um, and Aria has taken a different uh, tack to survival. You know, her, you know, her means is, is a kind of hyper curation. Um, but I think, too, I was responding when I was writing that to uh, an anxiety <laughs> that I that I personally had, you know, um, you know, in, in wanting to tell a specific story and, and wondering if there was room for it. Yeah, Aria, one of the things that struck me that she said, of course, is that she says to Edie, I mean, and Aria is like the A plus student doing all of the best work and, yes. and, and blending yeah. in. And Edie is doing other things. And um, she says, they can be mediocre, but we can't. Right. That's right. And, and specifically sort of the managing of, of, other people's perception of you, the managing mm -hmm. of your, like, also in that, in that moment is, you know, the idea of, you know, your, your employer not under, not knowing how black you are yet, right? <laughs> you know, like the, the performance that you have to, you have to indulge in order to survive, in order to, in order to eat, you know, and so th yeah. th those are the same concerns that we see sort of Edie grappling with, except you know, she's met someone who is kin, who's taken a different route, and, and both, both are distorting, you know, both are dehumanizing uh, and flattening. And I, without giving too much away, um, one, of, one of the things I love about your writing is that a sentence can start in one place <laughs> And then end somewhere completely different. And there's an aside that Edie says, I'm, I'm looking for it now because it's um, pretty amazing. Um, she starts with, of all the men I've slept with at work. <laughs> and Raven, I was thinking like, is everyone doing that? <laughs> no, well, I mean... Yeah, I think that that's, that too is a function of her hunger, right? Of her yes. like sort of randomly, uh, you know, and, and sometimes less randomly 
uh, fumbling to the dark for any kind of human connection, but also the fact that this this job, you know, like you said, is a shitty entry level job in which, you know, she can barely, you know, make her student loan payments. She is barely sort of doing any work that is really meaningful to her. And so this is this is one of the perks. And then, of course, she she meets Eric um, just about right away. And one of the things that I, I noticed right away about their relationship is that he's 20 years older and he's mm-hmm. white and he lives with his wife in Maplewood, New Jersey. Yes. Um, but there seems to be in Edie a real understanding at first of the power dynamics involved in this. 100%. And I mean, I think part of why she understands this power dynamic is because she is deeply studious, you know, she's an observer. And and that's the reason she's that way is it's also um, uh, about survival, you know, like there's an element of, of surviving in this world while, while black that kind of requires you to to be that studious. So she, she understands that because she's always sort of observing. But at the same time, I think that, I think she likes it, right? You know, like she, I, yeah. she likes that power imbalance. And uh, that's a really tricky thing to talk, that is a really tricky thing to talk about. But in, in that power imbalance is this idea of, of surrender right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is relief, which is sort of a, you know, a way to release that, that pressure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then of course, in terms of bad decisions, there, there's a moment when she shows up at his home in New Jersey and it's, it's like a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> like, don't go into the house. Don't, what are you doing? You know, writing that, uh, I, I feel like the way I talk about it is that that feels the most like science fiction the book ever gets <laughs> is the idea that a, you know, a young black woman can sort of wander through the suburbs and let herself into someone's house and, and have the freedom to, to sort of let her id guide her is, I mean, in a way, extremely unreal. But like, yeah, I wanted really- her to, to be a character who embodies that, that freedom. I mean, even I, when I, when I think about she's coming from Brooklyn and going to Maplewood, that requires like a right. trip to Penn station. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I, I feel like I wanted to, I tried in, in earlier in the book to set her up as a character who would absolutely do that. You know, a character yep. who is, who's sort of rooted in those fleeting obsessions you know, like she lets them sort of move her through, you know, through her environment. I, I really love the idea of, of the uncoolness of, of wanting, you know, of yearning kind of that loudly. So much so that it's, it feels, yes, again, strange, but also really true that suddenly Edie meets Rebecca, Eric's wife. Right and Akila, their adopted daughter, and not right away, but, but soon they become a kind of family. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, 
when I when I was writing, it was very very hard to to balance those scenes once I had like all four characters uh, at you know in play. Uh, but I, I wanted to I wanted to write about you know that that part of like that that found family that it just it's kind of a I mean it's found family feels way too sentimental for, for right. what actually happens. Um, but the idea of, especially even with Akila, you know, she's, uh, she meets a child who is also um, in the process of self-actualization and finding what, you know, who she is, you know, um, kind of understanding her blackness in a different way, um, but also deeply isolated. Like they're both deeply isolated humans. And that, that was deeply important to me um, to bring two black women together who are both, um, you know, who are both isolated and to between them together uh, have some joy. Cause I think that that was, that's important too, you know, not to just show a character who is sort of navigating these highly pressurized environments um, and not to show a character who bears pain or trauma well, but to have moments of joy in between. And, and I love, you recently wrote a piece about going to Comic-Con. Um, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and I love that, uh, yeah, this doesn't give anything away either. But, <laughs> but we can build to the point where the family goes to Comic-Con as, a, as seeking joy. Yes, yes. And, and like that, I mean, I, in general, because I've, I've now written about it a couple of times, but it, it was just, I kind of just wanted to write about Comic-Con. <laughs> um, but, but also I wanted to, to show that joy. I think in, in that, in one of those scenes, uh, we get, you know, because Hila is sort of by, you know, if we had to just generalize, you know, a surly teenager. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to show that, um, you know, I wanted to show that joy and I wanted to, I wanted to show Edie too um, in the midst of this family uh, and sort of exploring too her own, um, her own feelings about motherhood because there are a lot of, there are a lot of sort of relationships in this book that are motherhood adjacent, you know? And you go into a bunch of background about Edie's own upbringing and mm -hmm. Um, let me, let me f see how to phrase this. Um, it would almost seem Freudian. Yeah. How she's <laughs> looking to, um, maybe replace a parental figure. It's deeply Freudian. <laughs> I feel like I don't, do we, do we talk about Freud these days as like a, you know, I, I wonder, cause I feel like how we've changed about him, talk, like, I mean, how we've talked about him has changed. I, I think studied so psychology too. in undergrad, um, but I, I still, you know, I still think that it's those parental roots are um, are formative in a way that is really relevant to character. Um, and so it was important to me to talk about, you know, her parents, you know, which I think informs your, your understanding of her choices mm -hmm. um, because they don't, you know, happen in a vacuum and I, I think you know I even want to talk about the parents parents I think the novel yes. is a really great medium to talk about those intergenerational um, dynamics and so it was important to me because I think you come to a book and you 
and you see a you know character make a number of dysfunctional choices or you know uh, sort of navigate a dysfunctional environment uh, there's a temptation to to talk about those choices as if um, you know they happen sort of independently of right. those formative that there's influence. nothing right yeah so that was a really great uh, way I tried to sort of frame who she is and why she does what she does. And she has this special bond with Eric's wife, Rebecca. Yes. Who, Raven, I think is the first character I've seen in a novel who's a medical examiner, but it's not a detective novel. Right. <laughs> He's not trying to solve crimes. That's not what it's about. Well, part of that actually came from my mom worked as a medical examiner. Oh, I didn't realize um, that. Yeah, she worked as a medical exam. She went to school, back to school while I was in high school for mortuary science. Wow. And I, I got to see her work like right before I went off to college. And that made a, kind of a huge impression on me. And this book was where I got to explore that a little more. And, and you know, also the fact of um, Edie as a painter, you know, historically mm -hmm. cadavers were used for that study. And I thought that's a perfect, you know, perfect way to combine them. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she certainly sees things there that, uh, yeah, if you can't express that in art, <laughs> right. then why even? Um, and then, and then I love also that while she's immersed in these relationships, there's also the idea that she's in the gig economy now. Totally. And she works for a, like a DoorDash kind of company. And she has interviews at a variety of places that feel absurd. Um, it reminded me, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Temporary by Hilary Leichter. Yes. Um, just the idea that, you're, that, that, that Edie is forced to endure so much absurdity right um, just to, just to try to survive and i'm gl i'm glad that came up came across because i think absurdity is is probably the word i would use and and i too i think also i should say have like a kind of connection to that i worked for postmates um like briefly before i came back to new york from mfa so i could build a cushion you know uh, for this extremely expensive city um and i wanted to you know there's a there's a kind of pressure, a, a kind of speed, um, a, a, a brutality yeah, yeah. To, to that kind of work in that, you know, you're, you're on the clock, you know, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I've worked a number of jobs in, in the service position. And I think those jobs, they tend to sort of strip you down. Um, <laughs> You know, like the, the deterioration we talked a lot about, um, mm -hmm. you know, with her, even just her nine to five, this is a different kind of sort of almost athletic performance. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to write about that. You know, there's this, I don't, am I allowed to say? You can say whatever. Oh, great. <laughs> so this, you know, she's on, on the route making these deliveries. And, you know, she's also fielding these, these texts from Eric, right? And he wants to see a picture of her pussy. And, and she thinks to herself, 
you know, the fact having a pussy seems like a thing that is actually quite impossible right now. You know, like, I think there's an element of that kind of work that completely detaches you from your body, from your humanity. Um, And, you know, at the same time, though, she lives in a body that is imperiled, right? And so she is constantly aware of, of, you know, the danger it's in, the way she has to protect it, which is, is much is a much more um, kind of absurd demand when she is, when she's on this extremely public route. And, and that is so hard because again, she talks about which bathroom she can use. And right. Like, like the, literally the most like basic functions of the body have to be accounted for in, in, in that way. That's right. And, and I also, you know, in that I wanted to talk a lot about, you know, the, the stuff that's bodily, you know, the stuff that is, um, that is less curated, you know, she has IBS, you know, and, and that, that too is something that she kind of has to handle, you know, when she's, when she's working, you know, there are these human needs, you know, these human aspects of, uh, you know, of living of of her body, Mm -hmm. but in, in work, they're totally divorced. Um, she has to kind of, she becomes almost like part machine. (laughs) I wanted to speak to that, you know, to that, um, how dehumanizing, um, that, that work is and dehumanizing in the way that it it even, the ends don't, is that, maybe I'm saying it like the opposite way, but the ends sort of don't justify the means because in the end, you know, she's still, uh, if I can say, I'm still learning how to talk about you know, without spoiling, but you know, she still lives in that, uh, in that state of precarity, yes. even still. Yes. No one, no one has gotten their life back on track by taking right. a gig. Right. And I think like there were these ads like a couple years ago that were just like, it, it was almost, it bracketed this kind of work in a way that was romantic, you know, like, yeah. which I oh, think yeah. is extremely Sinister hours. <laughs> yes. Blah, yeah. Blah. <laughs> and I wanted to, um, I wanted to puncture that, that romance, uh, because it's, it's not romantic, you know, having to, to scrap to meet your primary needs is, is never a romantic thing. No. Um, let's talk a little bit about more joy because I want to know about disco in the book. Ah. Edie is a huge <laughs> disco fan. Tell me about that. So uh, I love disco. <laughs> and I think, you know, um, that's, that's a big part of why, you know, I, I used this book to, sure. I to mean, write, you know, <laughs> about my love of Donna Summer. Um, <laughs> but yes, you know, I, I wanted in this book to make space for the earnest. You know, I, we see, because we're in her mind, you know, the real dissonance between her interior and, you know, exterior performance. And I wanted to make room for the part that is simply, you know, just joy and yearning and love. And I mean, fandom is probably, you know, not exactly the word, but the idea of, of loving something so much. And, and even, you know, on the page, I feel like she, she struggles with um, articulating <laughs> <laughs> that that joy without it being tempered in, in irony. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, 
and I maybe I speak as a person who is a fan and who mm-hmm. who feels like it is a beautiful thing to be able to um, engage with the things you love um, deeply and and without any sort of qualifier that that would make it perhaps more cool. You know, I I think that it's um, you know it, it's it's underrated or overrated. <laughs> to be indifferent, you know, and Absolutely. and so the, uh, you know, the disco is it helped me, you know, one in a kind of craft level, it helped me uh, get to a place where I could write those scenes of like of chaos and enjoy, uh, but it also it, it gave me the opportunity to write um, about a black woman who is enjoying herself. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Raven. Thank you. Um, before we go, please tell me what you've been reading and what books you'd like to recommend. So I, I have like a number of books that I, I really am excited about. Um, how much of these hills, uh, is gold, um, by Pam Zhang, um, Lakewood by Megan Giddings. Um, these ghosts are family by Maisie Card. Um, I feel like there, there are so many, there are so many good books coming out right now. Isn't it? It's so wild. Like, even if the entire world is in crisis, um, the books are still good. Yes. <laughs> uh, Days of Distraction that. by Alexander Chang. Yes. Um, and it, just a book that I often return to, There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce by Morgan, oh. Morgan Parker, is just like, the way I used to talk about writing even Lester was there's one line in, in one of her poems that is just like, um, oh my God, let, let me see if I can quote this correctly because it's important. <laughs> um, I do what I want because I can die at any time. I don't mean YOLO. I mean, they are hunting me. Like th- that is like, that is like, it just knocks me over every time. And when I came to the page to write this book, I was like, this is, this is part of the spirit that I want to animate this book, you know? Um, and so I, I always, I want to recommend that one because it's just like, I return to that for nourishment. Morgan Parker. Yes. <laughs> um, Raven, thank you so much. This has been thank a real pleasure. <laughs> this is wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.